0: the early morning of the first Easter, there were people that had lots of questions. As Jesus' disciples uh, woke early on that Sunday, thinking about the events of the days before, undoubtedly they had restless nights, like maybe we sometimes have restless nights. You can imagine what it's like to toss and turn. Do you ever have something in the back of your mind and you think about it while you sleep? And then you wake up and you're still thinking about it and you're tossing and you're turning and you just can't get rest because those things are bothering you, things that you want answers to, problems that you have. Some of them probably were concerned about money, right? Many of these people who had followed Jesus had, had left their jobs and left behind their work as a, a fisherman or whoever to deal with day-to-day life. And now they're thinking, okay, where do we go to now? What do we do now that Jesus is no longer with us? Uh, Jesus often tells parables about money and about how to deal with money. He talks about the inequality of society and how, um, how terrible it is. Um, there are so many times that he feeds people through his miracles. And so Jesus deals with people that have that kind of concern. What am I going to do? with sort of money and taking care of my day-to-day life. And if you have ever had that experience of waking up in the wee hours of the morning, wondering how you're going to handle a job or budget or finances or any of those things, then you have worried about something that Jesus' disciples would have been worried about. Some of them are probably um, worried about the government or worried about the oppression in their society, or about politics. Uh, The people of Jesus' day lived in an occupied country, and the symbols of Rome were everywhere, whether it was via their military, or their coins, or insignias that they would put up all over the place. They wanted the Jews of Jerusalem to know, you live in Roman territory. And so they lived with this sort of constant oppression, They lived with soldiers being able to do as they pleased and being able to create violence in the streets. They lived with these symbols of power over them. The tax collectors and the soldiers did as they pleased in their society. And so if you have ever woke up in the wee hours of the morning thinking about the police or the president or your taxes or the NSA listening to your phones or any of that stuff... You have a worry that is like the worry of the disciples. Um, Some of them are worried about relationships. Jesus often is talking about how people get along. And so Jesus uh, has this couple of brothers that come to him fighting over an inheritance, right? Who gets to keep the money when mom and dad passed away? He deals with his own family who often treats him poorly and doesn't really believe in what he's doing. He... um, often is dealing with people stuck in marriage situations he preaches on marriage and how to get married and when to get married and how to deal with divorce he talks about sex right there's constantly people coming to him that have problems with that part of their life and if you've ever woke up in the wee hours of the morning worried about your kids worried about your parents worried about your romantic partner whatever that is you worry about similar things as his disciples That we're about spiritual things. The Pharisees of the day are constantly putting these heavy burdens on people and making religion just feel so hard. And meanwhile, the Sadducees are in bed with the Romans and they're mixing politics with religion in a way that feels really gross and uncomfortable. And so many of the people that were following Jesus were sick of going to synagogue because synagogue felt heavy and hard. And so they just sort of were giving up on faith. Until they met Jesus, who taught them in a way that gave them life and excitement and felt applicable to their lives. And so if you woke up in the wee hours of the morning, thinking about your soul, or thinking about your life, or what's your purpose, or just feeling lost, then you worry about things that are like what Jesus' disciples worried about. And you can imagine how difficult it would have been for them on that Easter morning. Because they thought they had found someone to fix these problems. They thought they had found a man that could help them navigate all of these hard things in life. And then he's gone. He's dead. It's over. And you can imagine all of the hope that they would have put in Jesus being gone. Some of them were depending on another miracle for their meal that week. Some of them were depending on a revolution to make them finally feel safe from the Romans. They were depending on his great teachings to help them in their relationships, his sage advice to help them deal with spiritual life. And now it is gone. And if you can imagine just for a moment that that Easter morning would feel kind of like the Monday after you got fired from a job. ever had that experience maybe you lost a job the week before and that weekend you kind of just do whatever you want to do right (laughs) because you lost your job you're bumming you're gonna watch as Netflix, Netflix and glasses of wine as you want right to try to deal with this loss and then Monday morning as you wake up everybody else starts going to work and you're stuck at home going what am I gonna do with my life And that is the moment of Easter morning. We always forget Sunday is not a day off for ancient people, right? They got Saturdays off, but six-day work weeks. And so Jesus dies Friday night, all day Saturday, the morning, and then Sunday morning uh, they're waking up going, what am I going to do now as my new week starts? How am I going to solve this? And you can imagine some of the things they would jump to. Ironically enough, the hard things that we deal with are often the things that we go to. So um, some of them would have immediately jumped right back into revolution and into politics, right? Some of them, like, we hear that there's a zealot, like a terrorist, that is kind of one of Jesus' followers, that he kind of was helping to probably be a little less violent and less concerned about things. You could imagine him going, we got to find the next revolutionary. Jesus wasn't the one, but we were close this time. And they're automatically thinking about if we could only get a leader like us in place, Right? If we could only overthrow these Romans, it'll fix everything. Have you ever felt like if you could just get enough votes that are on your side of the issues, the world would be good? Or if you could just get a politician like you in charge, then the world would be fixed, right? We feel that sometimes. And so certainly some of them jumped into that like that was going to fix all their problems. Some of them probably started to think, about jobs and money and success. I tried this Jesus thing. I tried giving to other people. I tried living a life of poverty. Enough of that. I am going to go get the best job I can get with the most prestige I can get. And if there's enough dollar bills in my pocket, nobody will mistreat me again. And we do that sometimes, right? We think if we can just get the right job that pays enough money That we'll be rolling in it, and life will be great, and we'll have everything that we need. That that will fix our problems. The list could go on and on and on. I could give you so many things. What are things we throw ourselves into that we think will fix things? Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's experiences, or relationships, or accomplishments, or religion, or exercise, or nature, or maybe it's just despair. I'm not going to look for life in any place. I'm just going to sit here and cry until it's over. Because there's days you feel that way too. And I think the question for us is the question that Ann just read in the story. It just really hit me as I prepared for Easter this year. It's a fascinating question. Why are you seeking the living among the dead. You know that you've got a bunch of dead end options in front of you, right? Because you've probably tried half a dozen of them. Whatever problem it is you've got, whatever that thing is that wakes you up in the middle of the night, you've got half a dozen options you know will not work, right? Maybe it's that person you've been dating that you know if you start dating them again, it's gonna end just as bad as the last time, right? Right? Or, you know, I'll just go back to that job that I've quit three times and that I hate because, no, it'll, it'll work out this time, right? Or, you know, if I talk to Uncle Bill this time and we're friendly, we'll not fight at Easter dinner, right? You've got whatever it is, this thing that you've tried, and you think it's going to work this time. And I think God might ask you, why are you seeking the living among the dead, Why do you keep looking for life in places you know there is none? And it's the question that he asked the disciples. And the really interesting thing is that his closest disciples, the 12 that followed him, minus Judas, plus another one, right? The the, the family members, his mom, later his brothers who finally get on board, the women who supported his ministry, all these people that were following him around, They don't go back to other things. They don't go back into politics or revolution or they don't go back to their jobs or all these other things. What they do is they keep living and keep doing ministry. And the reason is because they know those are dead things and the empty tomb is a life thing. They know that Jesus is alive and it's an option for them that makes all the difference. Now, let's deal with this real quick. Easter, resurrection, right? Some of you are dealing with this all day. You're like, I know that resurrection is the theme of the deal, but people don't come back to life after they die. Why are we still doing this thing? We all know this didn't happen, right? Some of this is going through our minds. Um, I would just argue that this thing we're talking about is one of the greatest historical defenses for why the resurrection happened. There are lots of dead Jewish messiahs in the first century. I don't know a nicer way to say it other than there's lots of men who raised up and they said they were the messiah and they were going to fix things. And the Romans executed many of them. And when they did, you know what their disciples did? They gave up and then went home. But for some reason, this time with this messiah, nobody goes home. They just keep working and working and working and you can see the way Christianity starts to spread across the globe. For some reason, this thing that had hoped it happened a dozen times before sticks. Why did they do it? Why did they go out? You have to seriously ask why a Peter or a John or a James would live a life of poverty and ministry and die martyrs' deaths for something that they knew to be a hoax. And there are many historians that feel like the most plausible answer is they didn't know it to be a hoax. They believed with all their hearts that they had seen him back alive again. And that's why they did it. Because they had somebody who could give them life, right? Why would you keep going back to dead ends when we have someone who we can follow, who has survived death, who has managed to overcome all these things? Now, the reality of this is this is not um, easy, right? Uh, As Emily mentioned in her communion thought. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things. This is the women that saw Jesus. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. We can just take a moment to notice the gender politics here. A group of men not listening to a group of women because they're like, well, that can't be right. And the women are right and the men are stupid. This happens from time to time, right? Maybe you've experienced this in your life. So there's these women, they come and they say, here's the deal, he's been raised. And they go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Um, Eventually, they, um, they figure out that it has been true, right? After experiencing Jesus and his resurrected self, they see that he has come back to life. They become convinced of that. Remember, whenever you read the Gospels, that you are seeing the testimony of people that are telling you things that they have seen with their own eyeballs. And it's really interesting that after all of this, once they have seen that Jesus is back, Jesus gives them hope for how they can deal with all their problems. And this is something that we can kind of lose. We can say, Jesus is alive again, yay, Easter, and then we're done. But there's one more piece of this message that's important. Luke 24:49, later on in the chapter. I am going to send you, Jesus says, what my Father has promised. But stay into the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Uh, the theology here is that once Jesus raises from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed on God's people. The same spirit that throughout the Hebrew Bible comes on people for acts of strength or artistry or other things, right? If you remember the story of Samson in the Hebrew Bible, Samson is always having the power of God come on. It says the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's able to kill a bunch of people or rip a building down or do something amazing with God's power. And Jesus says, you guys chill out here in Jerusalem because my resurrection means my power is now coming to you. This is connected, uh, again, by Paul in Romans. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. All right, so here's the logic of this. The idea is there is a connection between the Holy Spirit and Jesus' resurrection. And this is basically how it goes. Um, if you have a friend that can bench press 250, right, and then you're moving and you have a box of odds and ends, you trust that he can lift the box, right? He's clearly shown to have the strength and the power to handle that kind of a problem. The logic of Easter is this. Whatever that thing is that you can't get rest about, whatever that problem you have is, That problem's not worse than being dead, right? Sometimes we say this to ourselves, right? Like if we're trying to encourage ourselves, we're like, oh man, I don't know how I'm gonna pay these bills. And someone's like, well, at least you're not dead, right? You know, because like things could always get a little bit worse. And this is the logic of Easter. If Jesus could raise from the dead, your problem is fixable, right? If God can take care of whatever you've got going, whatever Jesus had going on, if He can take inanimate flesh and make it alive again, then your family or your budget or the government or whatever your problem is, it's a smaller problem than being dead. And that that power that was available to Jesus when He raised is now available to everybody who follows Him to handle the stuff in their lives. That there's nothing that you're dealing with that's beyond God's capability of handling. And this should give us hope, right? This is why Easter is a good day. Like, yeah, we do the bunny stuff and the eggs and all that stuff, and the kids love that. But why, you know, why is it such a celebration? Why does the church make a big deal about Easter? And it's because dead things can be alive again. And stuff that makes you not be able to sleep can be stuff that God solved, and you can get a good night's rest later on, right? And it's my hope that you take some trust and joy in that today. For some of you, I know the resurrection thing is still a little hazy. Like, I don't know. But look at the lives of all of the people in Jesus' life and then millions and millions and now billions of people later who have said, no, I had something in my life that didn't work and God made it work again. That spirit that made Jesus alive made my life alive again. The cool thing is when I work in a church, like, I see it. I won't calling of you out but i know times i have sat with some of you in this room and we have cried about hard difficult stuff and then the spirit of life of god gave you new life right and if you are looking for life don't look for it among the dead don't go back to the same junk that holds you back all right i don't know all of you so i'm just gonna guess here right For some of us, that's drugs and alcohol, right? That's the dead stuff that we think is gonna make us feel better. For some of that, it's pride, that I am the fixer of my problems and I am the great savior of my own life, right? For some of us, it's just, we're just trying to stay distracted and just stay, uh, ignore the rest of the world, right? Our problems will go away if we don't recognize they exist. And for all of us, I would say, don't look for the living among the dead. All right? There is hope in Jesus. The reason I do what I do, the reason this church exists, is because we believe that Jesus can give you new life. And that you can, if you seek it, it's there. And he'll look at you with a smile and say, why are you looking for life in all those other places? Because this is the only place where you'll find it. All right. All right. Um, like I said, we do a Q&A at the end of our sermons. Um, you guys can ask any questions about the text that we talked about today. You can talk about the way I applied it, any of the examples, background information, any questions you might have about today's sermon. Shoot them my way and I will either answer them or tell you I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good question. So, yeah, they they kind of don't believe. Thomas is the best example of this, right? Uh, Thomas is so, Thomas, uh, the disciple, is so disenfranchised that he's stopped going to church, right? Like, that's kind of a weird way to think about it. But he's not hanging out with the disciples when Jesus first appears. So then Peter and Paul, or Peter and Paul, Peter and Andrew and James and John are like, hey, 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 we saw Jesus. And Thomas goes, yeah, right, right? Because he's not in the room. He's not there. And then when Jesus meets him, it's just so tender. Um, Thomas had said, I don't believe it until I'll feel the holes in his hands or the hole in his side. And so Jesus, in the book of John, sees Thomas, and he goes, all right, Thomas, here you go. Feel free. Touch it. And Thomas doesn't need to. Like, the sight is enough. Uh, It's interesting that he was all his bravado. Until I touch it, I won't believe it. And then he sees it, and he goes, oh, my God, Right? But, yeah, I think there's a sensitivity and a kindness there that God gets that it's slow. Jesus even kind of plays a game. One of the stories shows that he's kind of pretending to be a gardener when one of them shows up. Uh, in the book of Luke, there's the, the road to Emmaus where he, he's kind of in disguise. We don't know exactly how this works, but he's kind of in disguise walking with disciples just to see if they'll figure out who he is. Um, Jesus is almost playful after his death. As if to go, I know this is hard for you guys, and that's okay. And there's that beautiful statement in John, you, have, uh, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who are going to believe without seeing. Uh, and that's kind of meant for us, right? That if we can have faith in these things, we'll be even more blessed than disciples by it. Other questions? Yeah. Yeah, this sometimes, so in the field of apologetics, or why do people believe, um, there's two questions that get confused. One is sort of the validity or the goodness of a, of a belief, and one is the accuracy of a belief, right? And so um, this is where I can get a little confused because, yes, right, I say, oh, they had this conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead, but, yeah, there's also people that have other convictions that make them terrorists, right? Well, but see, that's, that's confusing the issues in that Um, killing other people, I would say, is a bad conviction, whereas loving other people and treating your neighbor as yourself is a good conviction, right? The question is historicity, right? How historical is it? And many of these people that, say, have a conviction that caused them to be murderers, um, usually they are convinced in their mind of the realness of the thing that they're doing, right? They don't do it because they believe it's a fairy tale. They do it because they believe it's real. And this is helpful for the argument about the first Christian authors in history. Sometimes we hear, oh no, Peter, Andrew, and James, and those guys, they knew this was fake, and they wrote these books anyways. That seems bizarre to me. You, You don't give your life and die for something you know is fake, right? There would become some point before they crucified Peter upside down, where he would have gone, you know what, I'm just joking, this isn't real. And so... Right, right, right. Yeah, so the, the idea is, um, you know, how do we know it's the, you know, the resurrection? What evidence would there be that the re- resurrection is real and historical? And the argument is the people who knew him most, the people who were around the resurrection, died claiming it true. And people tend not to die for things that they, bl- that they know to be false. Now, then we go, okay, if it's true, that's fine, but is it good? Right? True and good are different questions, and I think that's what gets into your question. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just because something's true doesn't mean it's good, and just because it's good doesn't mean it's true. And so we were kind of dealing with that true question, but the good question then would be another question to deal with, yeah. Other questions? Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So the goodness, a lot of it, is that you hold it up to the standard of Jesus' own teachings, right? Uh, Treat your neighbor as you'd like to be treated, which is just a quotation from from the Hebrew Bible, right? Um, Much of what you're talking about obviously fails that standard of Jesus, right? Like the most basic ethical standard that anybody could have and understand Jesus to teach is to treat other people the way you want to be treated. So obviously those things would fail. Um, I would... I would push a little bit back on the premise of that. I think there are versions of Christianity that focus on a personal relationship with God, but uh, certainly the medieval Catholic Church did not teach that, right? There was a pope, and there was his teachings, and you had to go through him to get to heaven or to have any communication they really didn't even encourage literacy often, like, right? in the Middle Ages. You just trusted what the priest told you. And this is the debate that happens after the invention of the printing press and Martin Luther, right? Is Martin Luther's going around saying, oh, no, we believe in priesthood of all believers. Everybody can be connected to God. And the Catholic Church goes, no, 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 You've got to go to the priest to talk to God. And much of that conflict you talked is actually they're over whether or not you can have personal connection with God or not. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there are all these terrible things. Um, As a Protestant kind of guy, I would say that um, historically the direct connection with God people actually went in the direction more of the Amish than the direction of the Crusades, right? It's actually a more established hierarchical religion that tends to then go to war and things like that. Whereas the more pietistic religions look like the churches of the brethren and the um, and the amish and the Mennonites and people like that that tend to be a little more pacifistic so is that a decent enough answer for now i don't think there is an answer for sure. yeah 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 <laughs> he asked me a question he knows doesn't have an answer any other questions